The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Hi, Henry. Hi. Thank you. And last but not least, uh, a frequent uh, visitor, and always fun when uh, he joins us, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley joins the round table. Hi, Wood. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Wood. Well, as you, as you all know, and uh, our regular listeners know, we always start with some quotes. And the first one is a finish the quote, where I ask you to finish the quote. And here it is. The most important political office is, how would you finish this quote? Uh, the office the I office, serve in. The office of voter, I would say. Yeah, I, li- the office I, I, I like I, I like Henry's uh, answer. In fact, it reminds me uh, I had Bob Adato on the show once many years ago, and I asked him of all the places he'd played in his long career, if uh, if he had a favorite. He said, "Yeah, the place I'm playing now." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, but the actual quote is, uh, the most important political office is that of the private citizen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That came from Louis Brandeis. Oh, oh. It was kind of kind of a surprise. Anyway, um, there were several quotes this week that were interesting, but uh, this one caught my eye. I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save lives in the future. Hmm. Is that Biden? It was, Wood. That was uh, President Joe Biden yesterday used the latest mass shooting to offer his most vocal push for gun control since taking office, saying the deaths of 10 people at a grocery store in Colorado should jolt Washington and the nation into action. It was a message past presidents have also wielded to uh, disappointing results, but Biden, who has a lengthy and mixed record on the issue, signaled he was ready to press for legislation even as he balances other priorities in Congress. Is this the same push that every Democratic president has made for the last 50 years, and is it likely to go anywhere? Yeah, I think that that's a common theme. But at least, you know, yeah, I'm kind of to a bridge too far. <clears throat> I'm kind of cynical so, about the chances of it. We've heard it so many but, times. After every, every shooting, we hear the same thing. Right. If, if, uh, if, mass, is, if mass deaths can't move you, and we've had, mass deaths by shootings before and 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 we've had the same whether it's democrats or republicans uh it's like uh we roll out the same script republicans say the same thing they roll out the second amendment argument democrats say you know we go to uh you know how horrible and and the like I, i just don't know we're numb to mass deaths we just aren't I, th- I think you're right. Uh, let me just say this before I'm attacked by those people who think without, who speak without thinking to the logic <laughs> of their thoughts. Uh, let me make it very clear here. My core belief is that no human being should be killed uh, by a planned event or a random event of violence. Now, that, with that said, I would like to say when people are killed repetitiously due to the practice, it establishes a trend and statistic that's a st- statistical significant stat. However, and we've seen that for five years. And all of a sudden, however, when a first incident occurs in a single episode in a pluralistic nation, critics, anarchists, and individuals who wish to be victimized by government or powerful groups will invariably destabilize the entire nation based upon a new standard that disregards trends and establishes bases on a single incident. Who knows whether that will ever happen again, like the one in Florida? Who knows? That is significant, and you cannot go around putting out incidents the incidental fires. We don't have the money, the time, or the ability to do that. It has to be established. You know, I, I had one odd thought when I heard about these shootings within the last week or week or two, is that in some bizarre way, I wonder, are we getting back to normal? I mean, have I have I forgotten? Over the pandemic, over the last year roughly, I don't think I recall that many shootings, but all of a sudden now, 
as it looks like we're getting somewhat towards the end of the pandemic, are we getting back to this normal where every week or two we have some kind of mass shootings of some kind? It's a bizarre thought, I understand. But well, I, maybe we're playing uh, catch-up a little bit because I heard something like seven in the last week. Now, the only two I'm yeah, familiar I heard with that number two. is uh, at the one in Atlanta of the uh, the spas and, uh, of course, the uh, King Supers in uh, Boulder, Colorado this week. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the one... Uh, in Florida, for example. Now, those were Asians. But the one in... Wasn't Colorado, that in Atlanta? Or Yeah, it was one of those southern cities. Uh, for, for, for but the one Florida. that just happened yesterday or day before, the shooter killed all white people. And that was very interesting. The race was not involved in that. So... Um, we need to think through this process of how we report this out because it's confusing to most of the nation. Some people want to resolve it in terms of, of race, others' gender, others' money, is, is power, the, et cetera. Do you think the NRA is, uh, its, its grip is diminishing a little? Yes. Aren't they, yeah, I, did they declare bankruptcy or? Yeah, I thought they just declared bankruptcy not too long ago. So I, I, I mean, you know, as a brand, uh, they're probably uh, still where they they were, but as a political power, I, I think they're in uh, something of a nosedive, quite quite frankly. I, you know, I, I think more and more people are seeing them more and more as because a marketing tool for the gun manufacturers. Than they than one who protects the gun owners. I mean, it it seems like in large part they used to be simply a hobby organization fifty years ago of mm-hmm. hunters and tra- trap shooters and that kind of thing. And then they became kind of this lobbying group that so they wanted to sell guns to everybody. And and every time there's an incident like this, the sale of guns goes up like crazy because there's this panic. Oh my God, they're going to take away my guns. And what it really does is is pump up the uh, the sales for the gun manufacturers. Guys, I don't, I don't have a, a love for guns in my, myself. I don't go out and buy guns. I don't either. And I, I don't but, feel the impulse to, to run out and buy a gun every time I see one of these because I'm yeah. fairly certain if I had a gun supposedly to protect myself with, I would shoot myself in the foot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, uh, that's too bad because uh, I don't mind other people having guns. But, and I don't believe in uh, the kind of gun control that uh, we're, we're asking to consider right now. But I just think that people who, so there are, there's a margin of people who, when possessing the guns, will use it. They will kill other people. And, and they're within the population. There's no way to determine who these people are. But you can track their behavior through their K-12 through system, and you see evidence of, these kind of behaviors evolving. But uh, they still, under the Constitution, they are allowed to possess a gun. There's no way you can get rid of it. it what, it's in our thoughts, it's in our bodies. Our behaviors are generated and uh, assessed. And uh, there is a way that you look at it, and you can probably predict some people, but you can't predict them all. And they're within us. We don't know. And we're all capable of killing people. Stop and think about it. We, we cannot ex- escape the human condition. So uh, 
we have to think this through and come up with something that's realistic and that people are willing to believe and to be abided by. But we don't have it yet. We're not there. You know, in terms of the Second Amendment, it was only about 20 years ago the Supreme Court said that the guns, the, the, the right to bear arms was a personal right. Before that time, they talked about it in terms of the right for states to have a militia or a, a, a National Guard of some kind. But So there's really not a 200-year history of individual rights to own guns. My last point here it's a relative, is... Relative to recent court rulings, I held that. My last point here, I'm, I'm willing... I mean, I'm waiting for people to explain the incident in Nevada, the, the, the whites that were killed. How do we reconcile that? Oh, you mean in, in uh, Colorado? Yeah. yeah. Colorado, yeah. the recent one there? Yeah. We haven't said anything yet, but I, I'm waiting for the, how we reconcile that and how we there, there, make there, that. The only... The one story I heard was that it might be a mental health issue, that the, the, uh, the shooter might, may have had mental health issues. But, again, that was but just one that's report. The that's yeah, the fallback. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know more than that except a one-line story I heard last night. But they've got to come up with some coherent reason uh, you know, for how to explain this in the press Paul, and you, to the general population, express it in public policy. Paul, you kind of uh, brushed up against something that I've been monitoring a little bit. The media, as it always does, um, camped out immediately, but right. they were getting very little information from the authorities there. And, you know, I always watch those things because the media usually gets these things wrong for the first 24 to 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it's they don't they don't know anything yet, and the people that they're trying to get to share information with them don't know anything yet, and I felt bad for this uh, for the chief there in uh, Boulder, who um, kept telling the the reporters. Well, that will be part of the investigation. That will be part of the investigation. Right. And he right. just kept saying that. And, and he, was, he was trying to explain and doing kind of a poor job of explaining that, you know, look, crime scene's still in there. I, I don't know how many there are because yeah. they're still doing their work. You know, they're, they're still, you know, sorting out bodies and trying to put together a timeline we don't know anything yet and it was uh the first time that i've seen the the media not disseminating a lot of faulty information and they were dealing with the the core group and you know you've got to get it right the first time well, well, you know what, they, they, they always say that journalism is the first draft of history, and it may be just the first draft, because things do change. Yeah. Yeah, but, they, you know, I, it was like the morning of the uh, bombing in uh, Nashville recently. Um, they came on with breaking news and said there's been an explosion in Nashville, and they knew nothing more than that. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. why, are you, why are you going on the air with this story if you don't know anything yet? Anyway, we got to take a short break. We'll come back, and uh, i got another good one uh, 
for you coming up after the break. Uh, this is Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Henry, or uh, Paul and uh, Henry, joined <laughs> Paul, by Woodrow Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partner squeeze in a few. We'll be right Everybody's back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, on the left and right, respectively, um, and and respectfully. And last but not <laughs> <Thank> least, <you>. political <laughs> emeritus true. Woodrow Stanley joining the roundtable. Um, I got, I've got a quote that we that I didn't get to in the last uh, segment, um, and it goes like this. Um, we do see our numbers up. We have the variants, which are highly contagious, and we've re-engaged these things. So he's concerned. I'm concerned. Dr. J's concerned. Governor Whitmer? It was indeed. Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Monday defended her recent loosening of the state's COVID-19 restrictions after Dr. Anthony Fauci was critical of her actions in a television appearance on CNN last weekend. Fauci, the chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden, said on CNN Whitmer was a good governor, quote, but I am telling them just hold off for a bit on loosening some of the restrictions. Governor Whitmer was referencing Dr. Fauci and Michigan Chief Medical Executive Dr. Joe Nakaldoon in her remarks. Will stepping up vaccination bring the numbers down or at least curb another surge? Those are statistics that we don't know. Those are things we don't have enough information to determine that because the professionals don't have that kind of information. No, go ahead. Uh, well, during their testing of people who don't have the problem, who have, don't uh, fit the model, it's just more testing. It's just, but we got to, uh, the telltale point is who dies and how many people dies as a result of these incident rates. That's where I the think statistics. That's the, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the, the critical point that I've heard uh, is that, there may be uh, surges, uh, but that with more people uh, vaccinated, that uh, the, the the number of of uh, beds, hospital beds, and the number of deaths uh, should should uh, stabilize and decrease. That um, so that one critical factor. Uh, but but I think when when we see surge and we see those numbers going up, all of us just as as laymen. Uh, we start getting a little nervous, but yeah. but the, the number that I'm that I'm uh, paying close attention to is the number of folks uh, getting a needle in their arm. Well, Sandy, yeah, Sandy got her, increasing. Sandy got yeah. her second shot yesterday, and I'm getting my first shot this afternoon, right after the show. You know, I I think that the, our governor, as much as I tried to support a position, I think she was overreacting to the criticism of the Republicans and about jobs, and about how they're killing the industry, and people who are making comments as testimony. Do you think they, they actually... Uh, you think she opened up too quickly, Henry? Uh, well, see, she just didn't think, she 
She didn't think through it. She didn't go and say, hey, Republicans, do you think that it's a good idea to open this up to make some traction or some noise or some motion that makes sense so that people can follow uh, well, the, the process. The problem is when you when you start pulling back on those restrictions, and I'm not a big fan of restrictions, um, but you know I'm I'm happy to do my part to stay safe. I wear a mask. I socially distance. I'm getting a shot in the arm in a couple hours. Um, but a lot of people, as soon as that starts to ease up, you know they they don't heed the cautions. Yeah. Well, I wear mine religiously. Same same here, but everybody sees it as a green light to go out and go back to where you you were a year ago. Go ahead, Wood. Once once uh, you put the restrictions on, I I think that uh, you have to go the direction of um, sort of erring on the side of caution in terms of not pulling back off the restrictions. I'd rather, if I were... uh, given the governor any advice, I'd say, look, um, stay with it. You know, stay the course, because once you pull back, it, it's that old expression about trying to get the toothpaste back in the tube. Right. It just, it, it's, it's a lot harder to, to uh, put the restrictions back on, because you, you have this, the weather going against you, getting warmer, folks are itching to get back to normal, and now you, so it's just... Uh, but but look, yeah. she's she's in a she's in a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of kind of uh, position. But yeah, I think but you know, a couple more weeks way. or a couple more months could make an awful lot of difference if we just just kind of hang on for a little longer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, you know, we keep hearing about light at the end of the tunnel, and and I think there is some. But I think the problem is with uh, not just Governor Whitmer, but other governors around the country is, you know, they're feeling immense pressure from the business community to start relaxing these restrictions. And, you know, it seems like maybe they could do a better job of saying, you know, when 70 percent of the country's population has been vaccinated, Mm -hmm. we're going to ease up. You know, mm-hmm. it is is pick a point. You know, um, you know some some goal. When we get to that goal, then we can start to relax. Then we can start to ease up. And and I, I you know, for all of the governors talk about um, wanting to be led by the science. She may be consulting with scientists, but she's not sharing what they said. She's yeah. just announcing policy mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe if she getting it, yeah, yeah I, I, th- I think you're right Henry I think that's what's getting her you know in into trouble and um, while people may think like um, uh, Anthony Fauci did you know they may think she's a good governor and that she's tried to act responsibly but I think there are some things that that she might have done better to bring people along, and not not just John Q. Public, but Republicans as well. And, and you know, Tom, I, I would say, and this is to, to Henry's point about, you know, one ear uh, sort of uh, tune into the uh, Republican chatter, and, and I, I don't just dis, I don't dismiss that, but I understand that that you know the governor has to has to deal with uh, the Republican caucus. 
And so, uh, you know, I understand that that's going to be a part of the calculus as she's making a decision. But, but you know, again, back to my original point, I think she's done uh, a phenomenal job in trying to stay the course. And I, I can tell you this, the Republican caucus uh, could give a damn about the science in terms of uh, trying to pin some bad stuff on the governor. Science is not going to factor into it's all raw politics. Yeah, I think, I, and we're going to get into that coming up in a little bit because there was something uh, that Mike Shirky said recently that we're going to be talking about. But we've uh, we've touched on the president, we've touched on the governor. Now it seems only fair that we turn a little attention to Mayor Sheldon Neely, who's <laughs> asking the city council to join him in requesting an expert independent review and analysis of a request for more than $200 million in attorney fees from the water, the Flint Water Crisis Settlement Fund. The council is uh, scheduled to, uh, or was scheduled to talk about this uh, Monday night um, that uh, they were supposed to consider a resolution that makes the request of U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy, who has given the settlement uh, preliminary approval and still must rule on the motion for fees and expenses from lawyers for Flint residents. Can the mayor and or city council have any impact on the judge's decision about lawyer fees? It's a matter of public opinion, I think, but I think it, I thought, thought there was a bit of a tradition that for these mega cases that that traditional one-third settlement was often cut back to a, to a substantially lower amount. I mean, it's, I don't yeah, think it's true. Do. For, an or, for a run-of-the-mill yeah. civil case, a 30% is common. Uh, but for these mega cases where you're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, I thought there was a, there was a provision in the, I know it was the lawyers' ethical rules or some, somewhere in the Bar Association that commonly cut back those, those settlements for these. Lawyers have ethical rules? <laughs> I, I want to see that handbook. <laughs> it's a very short well, book. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's uh, and, and I, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, uh, I, I think that book that you're referring to, um, Paul, is called The Bible. I'm not so sure that they're using <laughs> the Bible as, as a reference. But 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 I, I will say this. I, I think in terms of the mayor's position and and, and if they're members of council, it, it, it's 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 good politics to, to go on record. I don't think it's going to prevail. Hey, look, there, there's a reason that lawyers from Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, you know, LA, all over the globe have been descending on Flint over the last number of years. And it was to get to this point that we're where we are now. So <laughs> I don't. It, it makes for good politics. It makes for a good narrative. Uh, I'm not so sure it's going to factor into the judge's hmm. uh, decision on this. Well, the Mackinac Center Legal Foundation has sued the city of Flint, claiming it failed to respond to a Freedom of Information Act request that asked for the names and salaries of the city's public employees in early January. The center, which describes itself as a free market think tank, said it received no communication from the city in response to the FOIA request. Uh, they sent follow-up correspondence in late February and said the city 
still has not acknowledged that the request was received. The FOIA law requires public agencies to respond to requests for information within five business days. A Flint spokeswoman said the city attorney's office is reviewing the case to investigate the issues raised in the lawsuit filed in Genesee Circuit Court on Monday. Do you think the city dropped the ball? Yes, they did. You know, when, when, when we got FOIOs at, at the school district, we had to get our FOIA in within that five days, or the public descended on the Ohio Board of Education. So we didn't want that kind of upheaval in a school district where you can completely disrupt the entire community over a single incident like that. You respond to it, and I would urge uh, Mayor Neely to please get that off of his document. document. I, I, I assume they, 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 they probably did uh, drop the ball. Quick, a quick, real quick Mackinac story. And I'm not a, a big fan of the Mackinac Center, obviously. Uh, but the Mackinac Center, uh, on one occasion, wrote a very uh, glowing, supportive uh, editorial about an action that I took. And I, I you know, I wanted to, to send something and ask them if they would retract it. it, it was <laughs> but but I, I had threatened to uh, privatize uh, the uh, sanitation department. And, of course, they, they thought that was uh, like man from heaven. <laughs> but they did that for school districts as well. And, in fact, their opinions for many school districts to privatize their uh, sanitation. Well, the back would like to privatize almost everything, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think? yeah. That's so that impacted yeah. everybody. And, uh, right. of course, uh, we the positions that we thought we did, but we're not intimidated by that. They oh, showed us proof that that we were losing dollars that were important to go into the classroom. They're serious about uh, uh, when they say they're a free market think tank. That that free market concept is uh, their holy grail, to be sure. And, and I'll, I'll give them some some backhanded credit too, uh, because they they take out after what they call corporate welfare as well. So at least they're somewhat consistent with their views on on uh, on, on on government's role, because they they, right. they they are willing to take out after corporate welfare in addition to other government programs that I I may disagree with their views on that. <laughs> well, on a on a related. Uh Note, um, a package of bills aimed at subjecting the Michigan legislature and governor to more public scrutiny is one step closer to seeing the light of day in the uh, state Senate. The Michigan Senate Oversight Committee moved Tuesday to advance the bills to the Senate floor for further review. Should the Senate take it up, it will be the first time the proposal which has been introduced in the legislature and passed the House for the last several sessions in a row has come up for a floor vote in the Senate. Um, and we've talked about this issue of, uh, uh, you know, the governor's office and, and the legislature being uh, exempted in Michigan from FOIA. And, and that's, that's one of the things uh, I, I think everybody in this group would uh, applaud the Mackinac Center for. They've been highly critical of um, that, those exemptions uh, to FOIA. But do you think the two houses will finally take action to require more transparency? Mm. I think in the day of this kind of criticism, I think they must. 
I don't know. Michigan's been ranked last for so many years in transparency. <laughs> well, it's been close to ten years since that uh, that that study was done by the Center for uh, uh, what is it? The Center for Public Policy yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they found no, no, no. This this one is uh, out of D.C. I think. Okay. okay. And and okay. they. Um, yeah, I think it's the Center for Public Policy, and yeah, they yeah. rated Michigan dead last for transparency. Yeah, no, we, we yeah we, yes, we've often been dead last in, yes. in in that survey and many similar ones. And uh, you know, I was when I first heard that, I was quite surprised because I thought, well, gee, maybe maybe some place like Mississippi or Louisiana would be last. But to to learn that Michigan was last in that ranking was quite surprising to me at the time. When I first heard that, yeah, I think uh, Michigan and Massachusetts were the only two states that had anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> With regard to you know exemption for them, well, the Michigan Senate on Tuesday opted not to block the selection of Elizabeth Hertel as uh, the new state health director after weeks of stonewalling other appointments to state agencies. Uh, by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The Senate voted 18 to 16 to approve Hertel's appointment to lead the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services during uh, its session uh, last Thursday. Um, this is not a majority vote, but by motioning to approve the nomination rather than disapproving, the Senate committed to allowing Hertel to continue as MDHHS director. This uh, breaks a recent string of blocked governor appointments by Michigan Senate Republicans who nixed 18 of Whitmer's appointments over the last two months. Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky called the string of rejections a political gesture to urge changes in COVID-19 restrictions. Will the, quote, political gestures, unquote, stop post-COVID? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Either. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. No, I, they may they may just pick up with more energy after post COVID. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I think that I go ahead. No, no, no. I just said I agree. Uh, you know, I I think that uh, people in general, the population, is becoming saturated with this argument. And it can't go, you can't have many more ways you can say that COVID is a danger to the Michigan population. And yet, we're taking these tiny steps or giant steps, wherever they may be, to uh, solve the problem and coming up with nothing. It's just one argument leading to another. And I think that people get saturated with that and uh, is willing to go either direction. You know, in the last week yep. or so, I've been hearing a, uh, a term that's uh, gaining a lot of momentum, and that's COVID fatigue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true, I think. And then they don't believe anything. You know, we come to a point where there's what's the use. You know, I, I have one slight hope that, that that might end some of these deep partisan divisions, and that is... Maybe some of these these commissions that are going to draw election districts and end gerrymandering might play a role in in doing that. Because I've always argued that when we gerrymander these districts to be all Republican or all Democrat, it tends to force both parties into the far left or far right, and there's not much in the middle. 
So maybe yeah. if, if this new commission in Michigan actually works, maybe in the years to come, that may modify some of these partisan divisions. And I know you've got a lot of money on that, but go I ahead. That's as long as I've been on the show. But it won't matter anyway. Whatever, when Republicans are in power, they do as they will. And when Democrats are in power, they do as they will. There's nothing in between. They have, each have excellent opportunities to do their will. But I think, and, uh, but I think what um, Paul is is optimistic, uh, optimistically referring to is the possibility that by redoing the way we draw the districts, that voters might have more of a say about who's in power, and that may ultimately make Republicans and Democrats more responsive. To vote. I'd, I'd love that. I love the idea. I think that that's how it ought to be. If, if, uh, if in fact, what Paul says, and I, I, I think that there's a ton of, of uh, merit to the, to the idea that you put, if you have more districts in place, I mean, you know, in, in terms of swing districts, uh, for instance, you can affect uh, what happens because. What Mike Shirky is doing, that this is a, a caucus-directed kind of situation. So if you, if, if you have mostly folks who are in, 90% uh, of the folks who are in your caucus that are in Republican districts or uh, Democratic districts, and you don't have very many folks in play uh, where it could go one way or the other, you, the caucus position, you're not, you're not going to have robust uh, debate about whether or not, hey, look, does it make any sense to just continually uh, give a nay vote on folks who are qualified to do the job, but we're saying, and eh, you know, we have a beef with the governor, so we're going to, uh, yeah, we're not going to uh, vote it up. Well, like we talked about a week or two ago, uh, Woodrow, we were talking about uh, the holding up of educational funding. Um, you know, while they were basically holding the, the dollars hostage to uh, negotiate uh, down uh, some of the emergency powers of the governor's office. Right, right, right. And I, no. you know, there's, there, there's not a problem with, you know, uh, sometimes using whatever lever you have to make a point, but, but when that's the tactic that you just use every single time, for instance, if you just say, we're not going to approve any of your appointments, you know, and you just do that. But I, I you know, the holding up money sometimes to cause a debate on something, eh, well, I, you know, that's a little bit different. Sometimes, you know, say, hey, look, but, we're going to, but, but the, 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 uh, the piece with, with the department heads, and you just say, we're not going to approve any department heads. 18 people in two months. I, I just, even, even if you, really don't like Governor Whitmer or her politics. I I just can't imagine her putting up eighteen names that aren't qualified. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know I Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Paul. I mean I mean Henry. Well, you know, I don't think that all of the responsibility are to the elected leaders. It's back home where people say John Doe, I'm going to send you to Lansing, and I want you to vote against everything that Democrats put up. 
Uh, You know, this is true. That must be what the people in Mitch McConnell's district say. And, you know, guys, you can't run a government efficiently if people don't have the uh, the courage to say what they believe in, to move in ways that they can compromise. But that is being inhibited, huh? Henry, I've, okay, I've, go got to, I've got to stop you there. We've got to take a okay. short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, Scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Woodrow Stanley. Um, Henry, when we went to break, as uh, often happens, uh, I, I had to cut you off, and I apologize for no that. No problem. Did you want to pick it up there? Yeah, yeah, I just want to uh, conclude a couple points here. Uh, you know, um, people back home... They can tell you what not to do, but you belong to the public. You don't belong to one single person out there, a big mouth or person with the most money. You belong to the public, and you should act like it. Now, for example, um, I know that people, and I've heard this, that I've been in uh, board meetings, uh, Republican board meetings, where we say, well, you've got to vote this down, you've got to make sure you do that, and so on and so forth. But they don't, they're not thinking about working in this capacity with other people in a group process. And so I know uh, when I was at the, and this is my concluding point, I was at the Cuyo Board of Education, I've always asked our board members to be cautious when the public asks you to vote down issues that support safety and increase performance, academic performance. And students, you be careful. You may not use money as a non-act to cause an, a non-action because you're responsible. And that's a responsibility that covers across generations. You impact. What you're impacting is not only the moment, but you're impacting the future as well. And I think that we pretty much did that. Well, transparency yeah. seems to be a little bit of a theme this uh, this week. Legal finger-pointing in a lawsuit alleging election fraud has led to a hearing in a northern Michigan courtroom uh, that was set for 1130 uh, Monday morning. An attorney representing William Bailey, a Central Lake Township resident who sued Antrim County in November alleging election fraud, claims Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's office is withholding records. It was ordered by Grand Traverse County Circuit Judge Kevin Elsenheimer to turn over in February. Conversely, the state attorney general's office, which is representing Benson, accuses Bailey and his attorney of dodging depositions that it's been trying to schedule with the plaintiff and his expert witnesses since early January. The judge on Monday was uh, expected to refine his expectations regarding the cooperation of both sides. 
are these legal eagles getting called into the principal's office? <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> sounds, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. It, I don't know, it, it sounds like the, these election squabbles go on, even though it's long, it's past history, and it's, 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 it's all been taken care of in some ways, but it seemed like we, we endlessly relitigate the, the 2020 election. Yeah. Well, well, with with the shuttered Marlena's Bistro and Pizzeria as backdrop, state Republican lawmakers on Monday blamed partisan politics for the jailing of Holland restaurant owner Marlena Pavlos Hackney. Pavlos Hackney is in the uh, or was in the Ingham County Jail for allegedly violating court orders over her defiance of state rules intended to slow the spread of COVID-19. State Senator Eric Nesbitt of Lawton said the uh, Holland restaurant owner is victim of a political attack by State Attorney General Dana Nessel and Governor Gretchen Whitmer, both Democrats. Local and state health officials say she disregarded orders in mid-November to close and has openly defied authorities by refusing to require masks or social distancing. Her food license has been suspended. A judge has released Marlena Pavlos Hackney from her jail after uh, she paid a $15,000 fine and closed her restaurant, Marlena's Bistro in uh, Pizzeria. Pavlos Hackney, 55, left the Ingham County Jail around 2 p.m. yesterday. Her attorney, Robert Baker, confirmed. He said she had uh, complied with the judge's order and deserved to be released. She has been jailed since Friday, March 19th. She was arrested that morning, presumably on her Hello? way to work. Is this another story like the Owasso Barber? That, that was my, when I first heard that, that was my reaction. I mean, I... Well, you need to enforce the law. There's a certain part, part of me that wonders whether it's wise to make these people into uh, into martyrs. Because I think yeah, also Barber enjoyed the show. In all honesty, uh, I think he enjoyed being at the center of attention. But you know, if I were governor and someone defied the law, I'd have to take them to court. I'd have to yeah, I, 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 take them right, yeah, to court. Because the that's law, your you're job. Right. No matter how difficult your job seems, and no matter how partisan you are or how easy you are to do that's your job if you can't do it get out of that office and let somebody else do it that's that's how our government works that's how the law works and it's fair well and, and, but she did a good thing she she did, she says well i'm not going to be intimidated by this law and they'll have to take me to to court because i'm losing business and that's my wherewithal and i've earned the right to i've escaped uh communist countries or wherever she came from to get here to be an American. And I'm applying American principles to what I believe in. That was, that was powerful. Well, you know, I've had but several the conversations. Actually, she said, well, you have to go to jail. <laughs> I've had several <laughs> conversations with uh, State Senator Ken Horn from Frankenmuth, um, who's been very critical of uh, Governor Whitmer's handling of uh, these types of, of restrictions, um, and not so much as a Republican, but as a, uh, a former Great. restaurant and bar owner, uh, he he thinks that uh, I know, Ken. that restaurants have been uh, 
particularly um, disadvantaged even when they've tried to, to take steps to you know limit the, the number of seats in their restaurants and um, you know they've jumped through a lot of hoops and they get they open and they close and and all of that but one of the questions that that I have um, especially with this particular case in uh, uh, Kalamazoo is why aren't customers ticketed and fined for not wearing masks or social distancing why is it always uh, the, why is it always the but it's easier to put it on a single person that's why uh the uh, government uh will uh charge higher taxes to industries because it's more difficult to get it from people so but um, if she opens her doors place, and nobody shows up who cares yeah. You know, it takes two to tango. You make a good point there, but uh, still, we move, we uh, we pursue uh, pleasure and we escape pain. Uh, if that's the philosophy of life, and you've heard it many times before, that's what we do. Well, maybe for the customers rather than a full-blown arrest, something like a parking ticket. You know, well, that's what I'm saying. Ticketed fine. or fined yeah. or, you know, um, yeah. they don't have to haul everybody to jail. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have enough space in yeah. Well, I know they don't in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, but but I, I really think that, you know, it's it's been problematic for a lot of businesses um, but restaurants in particular, as Ken Horn uh, likes to point out, that even the ones that have uh, gone through some hoops and made some investments in, in outdoor dining and heated tents and, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things to continue to operate, but with, you know, some sense of responsibility. And then you see these things like, like Florida, they ease up on the restrictions and people just go crazy. You know, they stop wearing yeah. the masks, and they're arm-in-arm arm at last call, you know, uh, getting their, their last snoot full. And you students know, are down after spring break. Uh, yeah. I, and I'm not saying that the way the government operates is, is the principal way that it should. And we don't hurt people, because we do hurt people. And governments, and we hurt people individually. But government does its best. When we think about these things, we might put the lady in jail and for a cooling off period and think about it and say, well, you're free to go now. But be careful. Don't go back to the store. But the, the question, you know, always remains, of course, if, uh, you know, if, if um, a government agency or the governor or... Uh, or even the legislature, for that matter, if they say, you know, these are the rules, and, and if you break the rules, there has to be some action taken. But yeah. it, it just seems like, you know, what rules do you want to invoke? What's what's going to be the best course of action so that you don't have people saying, no, nah, I'm not going to do that? You know, what, what, what might be a resolution there is the application of civil law rather than criminal law. What if those restaurants were open to a lawsuit if somebody got sick? I mean, I could see that being a great deterrent for anybody to open there. Yeah, that would be out of business. 
Yeah, I mean, sure. Well, that's yeah. a much greater threat. Worse than out of business, but uh, someone win a civil suit against you, you know, would damage yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you, you got to come up with $200 million for the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have to we have to break here for our uh, top of the hour show ID and so on, but we'll uh, we'll pick up with the second half of Armchair Politics featuring our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley when uh, when we uh, when we return with the second half, and we're going to look at uh, now, we're we're going to turn the spotlight on Washington for a little while and see what kind of mischief we can get into there. So, uh, by all means, stay tuned, and uh, we'll have lots more armchair politics coming up in uh, in in just a couple of moments. Also, a uh, a quick announcement: I think our uh, I think our archive is going to be down for about a week, um, but more on that later. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. (laughs) 